0: Welcome to a special segment of Narratives in Nightcaps. You're listening to Narratives in the News. We're talking about narrative or novel-related things making headlines.
1: I'm Bree. And I'm Megan.
0: And we have an interesting selection of headlines, maybe some conversation starters for you. Um, I mean, I know what you're talking about. But I don't know what you wrote. So <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about it. And if you're listening to this, I think for some of these headlines, we'd like your opinion as well. What are your yeah, thoughts?
1: For sure. Um, I think two like the two of them, our last two headlines are very um thought provoking, kind of like a not necessarily like what's right, what's wrong, but just I mean, as Bree said, like conversation starters, things that maybe you're like, huh. Where where do you draw the line?
0: didn't <laughs> think about that before. But we're going to get started on probably just our, I don't want to call it a lighter one because it's not like any of these are like dark headlines by any means. But we're just going to start with a, hey, this is coming out um in the month of April, which is next month for when this episode is going to be really, sorry, I had to do like math and dates in my head really <laughs> quick and it's not my strong suit, so Uh, Okay, so from that, I pulled this headline. It's not really a headline, but it is. There is like an actual link that I'll put in the podcast notes, but I have like a hard copy of this magazine. Shout out, John. I hope it's cool that I mentioned you by name in the podcast. (laughs) Um, So this is the magazine book page. And this was actually the January 2023 issue. But what I'm talking about is specifically related to April. So in the magazine, this section is our most anticipated books of 2023 on their website. I couldn't find that exact headline if you will but I did find the one where this exact copy is featured so Perfect. um we're talking about happy place which is coming out it's a new novel by Emily Henry she has she's amazing I love her oh my I Her books are just so, so, so good, so funny, definitely rom-coms. So she wrote uh, Beach Read, Book Lovers, and People We Meet on Vacation. So Happy Place is her newest one coming out on April 25th. And I'm going to read just the little blurb, word for word, all quoted from book page really quick. So it says, what is there to say about Emily Henry that hasn't already been said? Her marvelously written, achingly sexy romance romances live up to the hype. Sorry, I can't see. I've been staring at computer way too long. (laughs) Live up to the hype and then some. And even that feels like an understatement. This spring, her first second chance romance between a married couple who haven't told their close-knit friend group that they've broken up and must now endure one last summer vacation to Maine while trying to keep their secret under wraps. So married couple has broken up, but none of their friends know what um, we have this second chance, probably for forced proximity, obviously, since they're all going on vacation together and they have to pretend like nothing is wrong.
1: I um, love the premise. Isn't there a movie that's kind of like that? maybe it's called um, Couples Retreat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. I, could be wrong, I could be wrong, but it just, it sounds like a similar premise, but I'm sure that it's a wonderful, funny, well-written book that could be a fun topic.
0: <laughs> I, so from her previous novel, so I've read Beach Read and Book Lovers. I haven't read People We Meet on Vacation only because we've talked about saving it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I've been waiting for that, but she is definitely an expert in witty banter.
1: Oh, excellent.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of that, especially if it's about a couple who's already been together. Like I'm sure they're, they've got a lot of weight to throw around back and forward. So that'll be, that will be really fun to read. I hope we, I hope we read it. I'm going to add it to my Goodreads list.
0: Oh, it's on my Goodreads list. Oh snap. I need to get caught up. All right. Well, check it
1: out next month. Woo! Okay, headline number two. So this might get a little long, but <laughs> <laughs> this is one that was more sparked by a conversation that Brie and I have had, um, perhaps a debate, if you will. And not that we're debating each other or think one way or another necessarily, but um, we had a scenario where. Um, we were talking about how you interpret a book based on whether or not it is read to you, as in an audiobook, or if you read it yourself and how that material is being presented. And I have found a few sources. So, one is an uh, opinion excerpt from the New York Times Magazine um, that not necessarily talks about the Uh, interpretation of books, but whether or not reading versus listening is truly considered reading, which I think is another really interesting kind of topic, but it does marry into how I think a narration is portrayed because it does talk about like the different inflection in your voice when you're listening to something versus if you were just reading it On your own. Um, And then there's also a source that is kind of a counter to this New York Times article um, produced by Psychology Today that goes a little bit more in depth about, again, if listening to something being read to you versus reading it yourself um, is a better way to absorb information or how that can um, affect your recognition and cognition of of things read So that gets like really psychological but what we thought was most interesting is really like almost how much you pay attention to a book when it's being read versus listened to. Um, and again that I think kind of goes into the like the the tone the terminology, the dialogue that you're reading and to me at least I was kind of on this, not tangent or rant, I should say, but just of this opinion, like it makes it sound like we're like having heated arguments and and we're not.
0: (laughs) Well, it's not. And Welfare One, I think that it's healthy to debate it Mm -hmm. and like talk about your different interpretations of books. That's one of the good things about fiction novels is that like you can interpret them in different ways. And ever since we started talking about it, it's just become, I guess I didn't think about it in so much depth about the difference between hearing a book versus reading a book and how not only can you interpret different, a novel a little bit differently than someone else when you're reading it, but is that difference even more noticeable in hearing it versus reading it on? Right.
1: And so I, my personal take, I am on the side and that's not necessarily written in either of these articles this is just me off the cuff but i am on the side of thinking that an audiobook is more of a performance it is something where this narrator who's reading you the story is probably chosen this novel because it's something they enjoy i mean i don't i don't necessarily think people are just going into a book neutrally like you might if you're reading it yourself I think that it's a performance by a narrator to move you through the story but more importantly probably keep your attention and that is a big piece of the articles I've read is how much time and recognition you have attention wise just paying attention to the book whether it's read to you because it's it's more engaging to read a physical hard copy or like an e-reader whatever when your eyes are reading it for themselves it's more engaging and you have more time to comprehend what's happening versus when it's being told to you um because then it's it's almost like you could let your mind wander i mean it's like how many of us sit in front of the tv watching a show but equally scrolling on our phones i mean that's It's the same concept here of like we're listening to someone speak to us while also being a million miles away in our own thoughts. Whereas when you're reading a book, you have to engage with the words because the pages aren't going to read themselves. So (laughs) this is nothing I wrote down from my (laughs) heart. No notes, no, no, no quotes here. Okay, let me go into some quotes. (laughs) Okay, so the New York Times article, again, it's an opinion-based article, it was written by a psychologist, um, states that the differences, and this is a direct quote, the differences between print and audio are most notably um, prosody. Am I saying that word right? P-R-O-S-O-D-Y, prosody, which is the pitch, tempo, and stress of spoken words what a great party can be a sincere compliment or a sarcastic put down, but they look identical on the page. So that's where I'm kind of gathering this. An audiobook is a performance because you have different inflections, different tones, just different ways of speaking this. Whereas maybe you're reading what a great party on a page and you're like, wow, that was really rude of them to say, but out loud, they're like, what a great party.
0: Right. It's totally relevant to the conversation we've been having of whether how you interpret it. If you hear it said a certain way and tying into your articles and are paying attention, it's actually an engaging audiobook. You're going to hear it a certain way, but if you're reading it, then maybe other inferences or even just your own personality, your own personal interpretation is going to make you read a, say, a statement like that differently. And yes. I, I I would say it's probably hard to change an entire novel, but certainly not impossible. But you could end up having an audiobook and then the actual book being interpreted completely differently. Okay, question. Go, now going off on a tangent, but Go I'm off. thinking <laughs> out loud. Hold on. What if someone wrote a book and people, the majority of people, had an overwhelming interpretation of it in a negative way Mm -hmm. and then the audiobook was created and they were like we need it to be read this way specifically Mm. to make the audiobook version be try to over i don't know not overcompensate but try to make up for the fact that the novel as a printed piece Hadn't been interpreted or well received. I don't think that I think today most cases you do the audiobook at the same time, but I'm sure there are many cases where you have the book printed for a long time and then the audiobook comes Mm -hmm. out and they're like, oh, well, people like didn't really like that about the book. So make sure you read it this way.
1: Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yes, I understand. And I feel like that almost touches on your next headline of like not necessarily like creative liberties but just like doing a spin on that to again maybe like what you said not necessarily overcompensate but redirect what your readers are thinking of the book like does does that cross a line somewhere where suddenly you're trying to make it a better outcome than how it was originally intended but maybe that's not even how it was originally intended. I well,
0: don't know. <laughs> I know, but then that's the thing is, okay, as an author, if I wrote that book and all these people interpreted it one way and I'm thinking, whoa, 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 that's not at all what I meant. And then they come to me, <laughs> this is so hypothetical, and then they come to me and they say, hey, we are getting ready to do your audiobook." And I say, okay, great. And the person that's going to read it, we need to have a lengthy conversation because this is how I want it to be received when it's read out loud.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like we can go off in a lot of different directions with this. Um, I, I get like, I feel like this is one where I would like to hear other people's opinions, because I think you and I, I feel like we're kind of on the same page of maybe how interpretation can be skewed one way or another based on whether or not you're reading it or whatever. But I would be curious, like, and I'm not sorry, I'm like having a million thoughts at once. And it's probably that I've had like three cups of coffee today. But I I am not an audiobook listener. I'm a podcast listener, which I feel like is very different. I'm not an audiobook listener. And so all of my interpretations have only been strictly because I've read the book or I mean, I feel like even seeing the movie doesn't it's not the same because it's like that's its own thing. Like you're just making your own pictures off of the it takes off. the narrative in a completely different direction. Right. But Uh, I would be curious, like, I mean, have you read and listened to a book? Have you ever done both? Multiple books. And have you felt like your interpretations have been different? Or do you feel like you went in? Well, okay, better question. Which one did you do first? Listen or read? So for both of them,
0: I listened first. And so I definitely prefer to read books but there was a time where i was traveling a lot mm-hmm. and um and I, I like podcasts too but i didn't if i found a good audiobook so my big thing with audiobooks is more of the voice if mm. i don't care how good the story is if i don't like the person that's doing the narration i can't i can't <laughs> handle it and i'm sorry but i won't pay for it so i will go through and do test audio on a million books before i purchase any of them because mm-hmm. If you can't hold my attention, if I find your voice annoying, I'm not gonna listen to it for 14 hours. And I'm sure some people feel the same way about me, and that's fine. <laughs> that's just my my opinion. It's some, but so there are I can think of two specifically where I listened to the audiobook and also read the physical book. For both of them, I did listen to the audiobook first. And so I guess that's hard because like I already had an interpretation of the books now that being said it's not like they were the most thought-provoking of novels I mean they were pretty simple Mm I don't want to say simple storylines I I actually really liked both books otherwise I wouldn't have gone and bought the actual book to read it as well I genuinely enjoyed the audiobook so much that I wanted to have a hard copy of the book because I prefer reading it and I like to keep books so um so I don't know. I, I would be really curious to know what other people think i I would like to do the opposite, or the reverse, not the opposite, and read a book first and then listen to the audiobook version of it and see if the performance
1: aspect of it changes my interpretation or how I feel about the novel. I see, and that's where that's kind of what I was getting at too. Was do you think ever because you listened to it first, you listened to this performance? Do you feel like that swayed? And and, I mean, I feel like again, if they're not super thought provoking books or like there's not a lot of you know clashing or drama one way or another, then it's it's probably an easier transition. But if it is a book where maybe there there is room for interpretation i'm curious if an audio listening to a book first would skew your vision of how that character whatever the scenario whatever the case is in the book because you heard it and so you're going in with because sorry again tangent but it's like the same thing to me like if you and this is just me but if i watch a movie and then read a book I'm going into that book with the characters from the movie. Like, that's who I picture. So I'm almost wondering if that same thing happens audio. If you listen to it, you're going in with the same voice, that same characterization, the same dialogue um, and fluctuations and pattern and all of that that the narrator had. And that then skews your idea of how that concept of the book is because you heard it first. (sighs) This is deep. (laughs) go off go off. okay i'm mean, not so,
0: yes but that's my opinion
1: right and this is all opinion based we're not debating anything i mean even these two articles don't necessarily like fight each other it's more just like hey here's some thoughts and then the other one's like hey here's some more thoughts <laughs> Which, on that note is super healthy
0: and you can have conversations like that
1: yes agreed 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 um and so i guess i kind of just want to leave off um my, because I don't want to take up all of our time going through my headline. But um basically, the articles wrap up. Again, this was more about like, is reading versus listening kind of cheating? And does it affect your comprehension? Whatever. So the Psychology Today article says, quote, no, listening to a book isn't cheating. Depending on the performance of the text, it might even be a better option. However, you shouldn't just limit yourself to easy works like popular memoirs or, for example, Jack Reacher novels, if your interests range beyond them. At the end of the day, time spent contemplating new ideas and experiencing new worlds is what matters. And if that audiobook opens up new ideas and new worlds, then that is all that counts. So, right, wrong, or indifferent, however, you are getting your reading done, that's always a positive. But I do think that maybe sometimes things are a little skewed (laughs) if you listen versus read.
0: (laughs) I agree with that. But I would say if reading physical books is not something
1: you enjoy doing, then just try to listen to an audiobook so that you at least get something in there. Agreed. Agreed. And, and and that can even look, I mean, and again, we're not asked, I feel like none of these articles are asking you to like read your biology textbook or anything like that. I mean, obviously you are doing it for leisure or enjoyment, but you should also not just limit yourself to those topics either. I mean, find things that you're interested in. Maybe you want to learn about something historical or something about art or something about television or science or whatever the case may be. And um, that could also be a good, interesting realm to open up um, perhaps an audiobook in that case um, to be told some of those interesting facts. Yes. So that is my articles. <laughs>
0: okay. Are you ready to go off on another one?
1: woo Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay, so this was a topic that I literally stumbled upon shortly before we were going to have this episode. And I just find it really interesting. I kind of, I don't know that I'm on one side or the other because, like we've been talking about, I kind of go back and forth a little bit. But anywho, this is actually a headline from The Guardian. Uh, It's an article by Lucy Knight. And the headline is... Sensitivity readers. What's publishing's most polarizing role? Sorry. What publishing's most polarizing role is really about? Either I typed that wrong or yes, I did. Okay. (laughs) What publishing's (laughs) most polarizing role is really about? Sorry about that. Okay. So this article is about a controversial position that is currently out in the publishing industry. These roles are called sensitivity readers and they can be hired by a publisher the article says it's normally in a case-by-case basis and they are hired to read a book generally prior to publishing I mean like if you're going to hire them doesn't really make sense to do it afterwards and provide quote suggestions regarding content that could be considered offensive inaccurate or stereotypical end quote. So for example, an author may have characters or they may depict experiences in a novel that they don't personally identify with. So it could be an experience, it could be a race or a culture that the author is writing about, but they obviously don't identify with that particular person or experience, but Mm -hmm. it's an important component of their novel. So they will hire someone of that background or who has experienced whatever they're talking about to read the novel prior to it publishing. So one sensitivity reader that is quoted in this article, her name is Helen Gold, I think. She's quoted quoted in the article saying that she simply provides suggestions and that it's ultimately up to the author or publisher to actually accept those. Mm -mm. So she's not telling them right or wrong. This is what you need to do. But she will just sort of red mark it and say, hey, this is what I think you should change, whatever. And then they say yes or no. Um, She I think she even said in the article that there was one novel that they didn't accept any of her recommendations. And she goes, but that had nothing to do with me versus the author. That had everything to do with the author and the publisher. Like she's hands off at that point. But she said overall, the the feedback is mostly positive. This is a direct quote. It's a a diversity and inclusivity thing on an organizational level, but it's also a PR safety net for those books, Mm -hmm. which is part of what she's talking about. Like it's more than just wanting to make sure that everything is accurately portrayed. It is also a PR thing for those authors, those publishers, editors, everyone that's involved. Mm -hmm. One of the bigger reasons that this has been, I guess, an article now, um, is because recent children's books have been brought, um, or have been quite controversial because they've been brought to light again with edits that are being made post-publishing for quote, sensitivity reasons. Um, some of these some of these changes have even happened with authors who have passed away so like these are books that have been out for a very long time and are now being changed. So the article goes on to talk about older books, the ones that have been changed and that they may want to appeal to more quote modern readers and a more diverse readership," end quote. And that's actually, so it's a quote from the article, but it's really a direct quote from Charlie Higson, who's an author, actor, and comedian. Referencing that, Higson is speaking mostly about changes made to Roald Dahl's books. He wrote James and the Giant Peach, as well as a number of other children's books, and he is no longer alive. And Higson actually talks about how those changes perhaps weren't handled the best, which mm-hmm. is also why that there's a lot of uh, discussion happening about it. The article ends by saying sensitivity readers are really there to check facts, make recommendations and to improve the story. Quote, they're there to help the author. This is the quote, avoid harm, but shouldn't be, quote, telling people what to do, says gold. Mm hmm. So, when I didn't know, yeah, when I had no idea that this position was even a thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it makes sense on one hand to me. Like, I do think it makes sense as an author if you are writing from, an, uh, from a perspective that you don't necessarily – have or I mean even just obviously don't have and I've heard people say too well then you shouldn't be writing about that or you shouldn't have characters in that and it's like well is that really what solves it all because at the same time you want to give voices to those people Mm -hmm. and if you're an established author I think it's amazing if you use your voice to help Express other identities and other backgrounds and other cultures and other experiences just because you haven't gone through those doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to write about some of it. And in those cases, I think it's really appropriate to bring in someone that can identify as whatever person or has gone through whatever experience and can give you that that guidance to make sure that your story is accurate. I don't know how, but to me, that like that makes sense. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I can see where this would definitely be a slippery slope in like what when does it become censorship prob- and that probably applies mostly to like books that have already been published. and I mean, what is sensitive to one person is not always sensitive to another. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge spectrum of things too. So uh, there's no like clear line to draw or a boundary to set up. I don't know. It's just really, really interesting that uh, on one hand, I see this awesome impact that these, this position um, and influence could have. But on the other hand, I think, okay, well, you that could get out of hand yeah um I mean what if it starts what if someone starts taking the liberty to not only change someone's creative work which they had you know every right to create that how they wanted to create it Mm -hmm. so you're starting to change that but then also a part of art, and specifically books, since that's what that's what we talk about, often includes a lot of sensitive topics. So, where do you draw mm-hmm. the line about what can be discussed and what can't?
1: I think that the point that really irks me out of this article is the things that are being changed post mortem, because the author, then, I mean, unless they still have representation, and maybe they do from like their publishing house or whoever is doing that for them. Um, they have no way to be able to justify the things that they have written and why they were written in this way and i do think that that's where a lot of that creative freedom is being uh, erased maybe is the word i want to say because you're not understanding the full spectrum of why that was put in there because that author is no longer there to ask those questions to or again even as the article says you know, some of those things are either accepted or rejected. And that's typically a collaboration between the author and the publisher. And if the author is not there to accept or reject those opinions, then that means that someone else has completely taken over their creative freedom and doing those things for them, which maybe they would have rejected to begin with. So it's like a weird spiral. (laughs)
0: So (laughs) Gold, who's quoted in this, just sounds like a very ethical person, but but then what if you don't have someone that is and with what you're saying too. So I get it on one hand that there are lots of books out there and not just books, but many things that don't age well and things Mm -hmm. change. And I think it's important as a society to recognize that, but then is that maybe more of a conversation to say this was written in this book and here's why it is, you know, Mm -hmm. sorry to say it again, but didn't age well or It isn't accurate or something like that as opposed to just changing it. I think one of the big things, and I didn't, the article's really long. I actually highly recommend reading the whole thing. But Higson talks about specifically with some of Dahl's books that were changed, not, it not being handled well is because it doesn't really seem like it was an author that, or like, a good author sorry to put it simply a good author that ended up making those changes too which is another thing that is then you're affecting someone's creative work I get that they're no longer here but still like you're you're changing those stories and that creativity and didn't do it in the best way and I I will say I don't know I couldn't tell you the last time I read James and the Giant Peach or any of other any other doll novels right um so I don't know like what they changed specifically. I was just more super intrigued by the article itself. And I don't want to go down like the route of banned books a whole ton, but, or a whole lot, but then that's another relevant topic to this or a parallel conversation about, okay, so then like what happens when you do censor stuff? And there are a lot of banned books out there that people should 100% read.
1: Yeah. I mean, so to me, this kind of uh, maybe an odd parallel, which as we all know is my favorite word, but this um, reminds me a lot of what Disney has done. Um, I don't know if you have access to um, like a Disney Plus account or anything, but Kyle and I love to watch with our son some of the movies that we grew up watching and some of the more controversial ones, for example, just start with the the film with a disclaimer um essentially just stating hey this was you know done in the past we don't necessarily agree with these views for our future but they're not erasing them you know they're not saying this should have never existed they're doing what you mentioned, acknowledging it, having a conversation about it by adding that disclaimer and then just doing better in the future because now we know better. And I am very curious if that's something that could be incorporated with some of these novels where people are finding them, you know, extremely offensive or needing censored or rewritten in some way. If perhaps instead of doing that, you more add a disclaimer of, hey, we know this happened we are moving on. We don't agree with the things that occurred, but this is still a, a work of art, if you will. I mean, this is still a novel that I think is worth reading and a part of our history as people, and it shouldn't be erased. It shouldn't be, you know, banned. It should just be regarded as something that it, it was incorrect at the time. <laughs> incorrect, problematic at times. Yeah. It didn't age well, you know, whatever people like to say, but I don't, I mean, I think like you were saying, it's so important to maybe not seek out those things, but don't shelter yourself from them either. Like you don't have to go out of your way to like read about freaking Satan, but you don't need to like shelter yourself from things that are controversial because it does bring up really great topics. It brings up really interesting things that you didn't realize were happening maybe historically and it doesn't even have to be that far back historically. I mean, I just watched a documentary about Abercrombie from like the two thousands and there was stuff that happened in there that I didn't even know happened and it was all controversial.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. No, I just, and like we talked about with the nightingale too, there's, there are moments specifically related to history where it's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you can't not talk about it just because it's uncomfortable. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's, you know, like this article says with the sensitivity readers, it's a case by case basis. And maybe that's how it is with everything too. We don't work in the publishing industry, so maybe we're not the experts, but we wanted to share the information with you because it is certainly a really interesting position that's out there now um, as this is a much more relevant and I guess accepted conversation today than it maybe was in the past. But if you have other thoughts on it too, like we would love to know your opinion. I think that's one of the big things that with this podcast, we've always said is we welcome different interpretations from each other and from other readers. And I would honestly love to hear them too. So
1: if you have any thoughts on any of those articles, let us know. We would And think- bigger thing too, like if you work in the industry, if you are this sensitivity reader, I want to hear about it. I want to know what you're doing. (laughs) Tell us about your day-to-day.
0: All right. That's all for this month's Narratives in the News. And join us next time for another round of headlines. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Thanks
0: for listening. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Join the conversation by emailing us at narrativesandnightcaps at gmail.com or visit our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com. Until next time, we hope you're enjoying a wonderful narrative.